Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church Podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. How many of you guys remember the first time you ever told a significant person in your life, I love you? I remember the first time I told Jennifer I love you. It was Valentine's night, downtown Dallas at Lombardi's Italian restaurant. I remember sitting down across from her. I was totally smitten. I couldn't eat the overpriced pasta that was in front of me. And you know I'm feeling something when I can't eat because I can always eat. And I took a crayon and I wrote on the butcher paper that was in front of me the words I loved you. Then I looked into Jennifer's beautiful hazel eyes that just captured me, and I whispered the words, I love you. And it it wasn't like a lot of thought went into those words. I wasn't planning on saying those words. I I just had the butterflies. I I was feeling the feels, y'all. You know, I I was in the moment. And as soon as I said the words, I'm like, what came out of my mouth? Ugh. What did I just do? I didn't get the reaction that I wanted from Jennifer. Jennifer can be stone-faced once in a while. She just kind of looked at me, ignored me. Like, do you realize what I just said? Like, we were talking a couple months. I know for sure we were just dating a couple weeks, but still, I thought, did I scare her? Am I moving too fast? What's happening here? I just sat there in awkward silence, and she said nothing. Talk about an awkward Valentine's night. To this day, I hate eating pasta with Jennifer. I still have PTSD from that moment. And one of the worst feelings in life is to be unsure of how someone feels about you. But when it comes to God's love for you this morning, Freedom Church, let me tell you what I can tell you for sure. You can be sure of God's love. John said it this way, as Andre read in uh, chapter 4, verses 8 and 10, God is love. John didn't say that God is loving. He says God is love. This is one of the only times that God is defined by his attributes, that love is at the very core of the being of God. And in this love, the love of God was made manifest. That word, remember we talked about it a couple weeks ago, it means, it means that you feel it, that you know it, you can taste it and seal it. It was, magn- it was manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And I love this, verse 10. And he begins to describe it. He begins to get real practical. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation, which means payment for our sins. And here is the reality. God died in our place. This is the gospel. And let me tell you, Freedom Church, here's the truth that I want you to know. That Jesus is the proof of God's love for you. God did the unthinkable. A dying king for unrepented traitors. A betrayed lover dying for an unfaithful lover. Man, God found us at our lowest point, and he still loved us. As I was thinking about the love of God this week, uh, I had this thought. Remember uh, when you had those, smoke, the, those smoking commercials? We had this kind of uh, warning around there of what all the stuff that cigarettes do to your life. Like, what if you were single, and you had a label around you telling all your annoying characteristics? How would that look like? Think you'd ever get a date? Warning, and they had around you. Moody, ferocious morning breath, for some of you guys, smelly feet, 
snores, stinky farts, anger problems, like daddy issues, mama's boy. What if you had a warning around you telling everything that you aren't? Jesus saw the warnings in your life and he still loved you anyways. This is love. God made the first move. God came to us. Let me tell you, you didn't find God. God found you. God didn't get lost. You were lost. God is the initiator of the love. We are the receiver of the love of God. Like when Jennifer and I first started dating, I had to work. Jennifer's from the South. She's a Southern belle. How many of you guys ever dated a Southern belle? And, and let me tell you about that. They make you work. There are certain rules and protocols to dating a girl from the South. The man has to make the first move. So she knew that I liked her. I told her friend that I liked her, kind of was talking through other people, but she thought I was cute. How could she not? But she never talked to me, never gave me any attention. It was just kind of like totally ignored me. So I had to literally be the initiator and everything. I called her first. I talked to her first. I made every first move except the first kiss, but that's another message on self-control. We'll talk about it again. But in a relationship, it's the man's job to initiate. It's the woman's job to respond. Let me tell you something, young ladies. Girls, listen to me if you're still dating. It's not your job to chase a guy. Let him chase you. Don't call him first. Don't text him first. Don't slide into his DMs. You make that man work. He better work for you. Let me tell you what the Bible says when it comes to a man. He who finds a wife, the word of God says, finds a good thing. The man has to do the finding. And guys, you're like, man, uh, it's kind of hard. It's awkward. Yeah, I got to put yourself out there. And just don't send a text. Don't send a damn. Put yourself, walk across the room for reals. Like, listen, let them really talk to you. Figure something out. Like, let, let me give you some tips. Like, man, you know, how do I talk to a girl in church? Maybe this might work. So I was, I was reading through the book of numbers, and I noticed your number wasn't in there. Can I have it? Some of you are going to try that this week, and it's going to go really bad, you know, really bad. Like, when I first started gen dating Jennifer, my job was to initiate, to pursue. Jennifer's job was to respond. I actually had to walk up to her and risk rejection. That's actually good theology when it comes to the love of God. That it's important to know our role when it comes to love, know the love of God. God's the initiator. We're the responder. Here's the good news. God's not timid. He's not shy. He's not some junior high boy in the corner thinking, should I ask them on a date? Or what are they going to say? No, let me tell you. God made the first move. He was loud. He was bold. He put himself out there. This is love. While we were still sinners, God showed you his love in Christ Jesus. And everything you do in the Christian life is a response to God's love. Everything. The way you sing and worship is because you say, God, you've done so much. The way you give and tithe. The joy in your life and the peace in your soul. See, I'm not trying to get God's attention. I already have God's attention. I'm not giving for a reward. I'm not worshiping for a reward. I'm not serving for a reward. Let me tell you, I have the ultimate reward in Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to earn my way to heaven. I'm accepting what God has given me. This is love. Not that we loved him, but he loved us first. And I just want to tell you, if you don't know your role 
in the love of God, you'll never have peace in your soul. So, John writes this letter so that we can know about the love of God. He says this. He wants us to have this deep peace in this soul assurance that you are loved by God. And in John, 1 John chapter 3, 1 through 3, he gives us three realities of the love of God. I want to unpack to you quickly this morning. First one, he, say, he says God's love is indescribable. God's love is transformational. And God's love is personal. Let's unpack it this morning. 1 John 3, 1 is one of the first verses that I ever memorized because we sung it in church growing up. If you remember, if you read it, when, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. How many of you guys are really old and saying that song like me? You guys remember that? I memorized that in the uh, King James, but I like the way the ESV translates it better when it says this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. The word see in the Greek means to check this out. Like, look at us. It's unbelievable. Man, it little, this will blow your mind. Kind of like the pictures that we saw. Like, can you believe this is true? Check it out. That's what he's saying. And the words what kind in the Greek mean this. From where is this? From what country? From what race? From what tribe? It literally means this love is not from around here. And when John is writing this letter about the love of God, he says, see what kind of love. Let it blow your mind. See, John is telling us that God's love is undescribable. Charles Spurgeon, who is referred to as the Prince of Preachers, is considered to be one of the greatest orators who ever lived. He says if there was one subject that he could always speak of, but one that he felt utterly incapable of talking about, it was the love of God. He said this of the love of God. It makes me back up from this platform utterly ashamed of my poor feeble words. The love of Christ is the most amazing thing under heaven, if not all of heaven itself. And when someone gets the glimpse of the love of God, it's indescribable. Look at the Bible writer say, David said this in Psalms 103, for as high as the heavens are above, for great is God's steadfast, never-changing love. Paul wrote this in Ephesians 3.18, that how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God in Christ. That the love is as high as the heavens and as deep as the oceans. I remember taking my youngest daughter, Nevaeh, when we were young to the beach, because my family loves to go to the beach, and we'd walk the corner of the beach, and she was so small, and I remember the waves would just come and crash over these two, three-foot waves, and she would freak out, and she would say, Dad, Dad, pick me up. And she said, too deep, too deep. She would want me to pick her up, and I would hold her, and I would think, baby, if you really understood how deep it was out there, it would blow you away. And the love of God is something that we should ponder on. And get there and meditate on it because it is beyond our comprehension till it blows us away. The early church father, Augustine, said this, that God loves us like we're the only ones to love. So personal. I was talking to my friend Rick who came to faith and we were talking about the love of God. And I was talking about my message this week and he was talking about, man, Benito, God's done some great things in his life, healed him from mental illnesses and began to be sober for six years now. And he says, you know what? The love of God, it makes you feel like you're the only one that he loves. The second thing I want to point out about God's love is this in this passage. God's love is transformational. In verses 2 and verse 3, you're going to hear that John's going to say that it makes us like him, makes us like Jesus, that it purifies us. 
John was living proof of his own words. John wasn't always a kind, loving person. He, was, he always wasn't known as the apostle of love. He and his brother were known as the sons of thunder. Jesus gave them that nickname. I love Jesus would always give people nicknames because one day he sends them out to preach and they don't want to listen to them. He says, let's just zap him from heaven, Jesus. Let's make some French fries right here. Jesus says, hey, back up, you son of thunder. That's what he said. Literally, that's what he said right there. So I grew up watching wrestling and listening to ACDC, you know. So when I think of John and his brother, this is what I think of. I think of tag team wrestling and fake wrestling. It's like this tag team now. And now, introducing from the World Wrestling Federation, James and John, Sons of Thunder, and then ACDC. Ah, thunder, ah, thunder. Then they come out like Hell's Angels entering the ring. This is, this is who they are. These aren't choir boys. This is Hell's Angels. But the love of God transforms John from the Son of Thunder to a Son of God. And towards the end of his life, church history tells us that they would simply carry John because he was so fragile to the beginning of the, the front of the church room. And he would simply say these words, beloved little children, love one another. And just his words were so full of love and conviction that the entire church would just break down and cry when John said that. God transformed him. He can transform you. The love of God so transformed John's life that he identified himself as the one who Jesus loved. Five times in his gospel, he called himself, that's the one who Jesus loved. I want you to understand this about John. John's, God's love identified him more than anything else, and this is so powerful about John. He realized what few people ever do, that the most important identity, it's not his name, it's not his accomplishment, it's not his title, it's not his education, but it's the love of God. And if I asked you this morning, Freedom Church, to describe yourself in one word, what would you say? Oh, I'm a doctor. I'm a business owner. I'm Hispanic. I'm black. I'm white. It's easy to find your identity in a lot of things. We find our identity in what we do, right? Like we ask somebody, what do you do? And whether we know it or not, we subconsciously make judgments about them by what they do. Another lie is we begin to identify somebody by what they've accomplished. Oh, this is the education I have. I've done this. Or, or what they own. Or what others think about us. But God's love so identified John more than anything else. And it transformed his life. And before this realization, before he understood the love of God, John was always like you and I. He was always striving for significance. If you read the Gospels, he was fighting with the other apostles, but who would be the ruler? Who would be the leader? Who would be the one sitting on Jesus' right hand? He wanted to be important. He wanted significance. He wanted power. He wanted prestige. But when he found out that Jesus, the only one that really matters, man, loves him and has valued him, it changed the whole course of his life. It changed the way he walked, the way he talked, everything about him, and he began to change others because if you do not understand and identify yourself with the love of God, God, you'll never truly understand what it means to be a Christian. J.I. Packer said this, that the fact that you're God's child is not the thing that motivates, transforms, and changes the very core of who you are. You probably don't understand very much what it means to be a Christian. So I want you to notice the language that John uses to describe the love of God. So powerful. See what kind of love. Describing it. You can't understand it. Underline this word, the Father, powerful, has given to us so that we should be called, underline this word, children of God. 
And here's what I want you to notice. God's love is personal. In the entire Old Testament, God was only mentioned as Father only 14 times. And never in a personal sense. But when Jesus came to the earth, he taught his followers to address God as Father. When he prayed, Our Father. And all the early church leaders had this belief that God was their father and they were his children. And this is very interesting. This is intimate family language. John is telling us this, that the work of salvation, that it's not, God just didn't come to the world to save us. God didn't just come to the world to forgive us. God just didn't come to the world to redeem us or to justify us. God came into the world to adopt us and make us his family. And I would say, the major issue, the number one issue I've dealt with in 20-some years of being a pastor, the major issue Christians struggle with is father issues. Because in seeing in it, how it translates to the way that they see God. And I know, sadly, in the culture that we live in, many of you don't have an earthly father that you have positive emotions about. Your father was absent. He was harsh. He was distant. He was even abusive. But here's what I'm here to tell you. God's not like your earthly father. He's a perfect father who loves you. But I also want to make this statement. Not everyone is a child of God. I know people say all the time, we're all God's children. No, we're not. It's not true. We're all God's creation. We all bear God's image, but not everyone's his child. John said it like this. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You have to receive Jesus and believe in him to be his child. Then the spirit of the Lord comes inside of you, and that makes you a child of God. For those of you who aren't following Jesus, you're a spiritual orphan. But I got amazing news for you. God wants to be your loving father. And the major problem that many Christians that you've been walking with Jesus for even many years have is you have a hard time of viewing God as your father. And because of this, many people don't live assured of the Father's love. They live like spiritual orphans, and they never walk in the fullness of life that Jesus has for them. So I want you to just pray. As we go into this passage of Scripture, it's going to get really practical. Say, Lord, examine my heart to see if I see you as Father. Speak through me through these things. Amen. First things, if your spiritual orphans are anonymous. Orphans are constantly searching for identity. They search for an identity in people, in possessions, in places, in prestige, in performance. Oh, if I get that education, if I do this, if I accomplish that, and it's always lacking. Orphans feel a sense of lack. They feel like they're not pretty enough, they're not smart enough, they're not good enough, because they don't understand the fullness of life in Christ Jesus just yet. They're constantly striving for more because what they have is never enough. The job never pays enough, the house is never big enough, the bonus is never satisfying enough, people never thank them enough. And ultimately, at least, the orphans feel like victims. They're convinced that they're getting the raw end of the deal. They're convinced that God loves everyone else more than them. That things never just work out for them. They feel entitled, abandoned, rejected, betrayed, and fearful. Orphans feel afraid. They're always afraid that God is mad at them. They're afraid of the future. Fear is the constant companion of somebody who does not understand that they're truly a child of God. One of the books I recommend everybody that I disciple to read is a book called Spiritual Slavery to Spiritual Sonship by Jack Frost. And in his book, he writes this. Being spiritual orphans causes us to live a life as if we don't have a safe, secure place in the Father's heart. We feel we have no place of affirmation, protection, comfort, belonging, or affection. Self-oriented, 
lonely, inwardly isolated. We have no one to whom to draw godly inheritance. Therefore, we have to strive, achieve, compete, earn everything we get in life, which leads to anxiety, fear, frustration. Maybe you can relate to that. But this morning, I got good news. It's time for you to have a new identity. The same identity that John had. I want you to understand, you are the one that God loves. One of the things I love about my friend Rick is he's always saying, man, God loves me. God loves me if you talk to him. He loves you. Do you realize how much God loves you? See, people create children through non-skilled labor. I remember one day doing the math and noticing the discrepancy between my parents' anniversary and my birthday. They got married in June. I was born in December. It was traumatizing to realize I was a mistake at the lake. (laughs) But when God made us, it wasn't an oops. It was well thought out. Paul said it like this, that he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. It wasn't just a feeling and a romantic date at some Italian restaurant where he said, I love you. God thought it out, planned it out, prepared it out, his love for you. See, we've been adopted into God's family. We have this image because of our culture that adoption is getting a cute little kid and raising him up in our family. But let me tell you, that's not what happened in the first century. In our world, adoption always tends to be children. In the first century, adoption was always for adults. In the first century, children weren't worth anything. You were only adopted if you were proved that you were worth adopting. Once you were adopted, though, legally, you had all the rights of the family. You had access to the family inheritance. They pay off all your old debts, and you receive their riches. So what happened is people would adopt people so they could control their inheritance and their legacy. Adoption was done for selfish reasons. History tells us that Julius Caesar adopted his great-grandnephew, Octavian, because he wanted him to be the next emperor, and he was. It wasn't until the doctrine of adoption that Christians changed this whole idea of adoption, being selfless for taking care of kids that had no rights. But when John, as I say that, to say when John writes that we're the children of God and God is our father, the early church fathers weren't thinking about children. They were thinking about themselves as adults. So I want you to think about this. What if today you found out that Bill Gates and Elon Musk adopted you? What, what, What would you have done? Like, man, hey, you're adopted into the family. You're like, I'd get a Tesla. Yes, right. But let me tell you something even greater. The creator of the universe, the God who owns a cattle in a thousand hills, has adopted you into his family. You are his child. So I want to give you some characteristics of children and see if you can identify with the love of God. Children are secure and confident in the Father's love. They don't always strive to earn it. They know they're loved. You guys know, yeah, your kid acts crazy. They're not worried about being kicked out of the family. Man, they're kicking you all the time, right? Children are bold. They don't walk in fear of anything or anyone because they know their father owns the entire place. They'll knock whenever, you know this, middle of the night, I'm hungry. 
12, 11 o'clock, Jesus is knocking on the door. I'm sick. Like my daughter, college, she calls me at 12 o'clock at night. It's midnight. I'm like, what are you doing? Just want to call you my day. They don't care when they call. Children are all up in your business. They're bold. Are you that bold with God? They have this reality that my dad cares about me. My parents care about me. And they want to move in my life. Do you believe that God has an amazing plan for you? Are your prayers bold? Is your faith bold? Is your obedience bold? Children of God have a victor's mentality. Even in times of great trial, the spiritual son knows that he's a victor. He knows that no matter what, God is working all things together for his good. He's not a victim. He's not blaming circumstances. But he's trusting in God's sovereignty that in the midst of everything, in the midst of challenges and uncertainties, that God's got this. And children have a deep sense of God's love and presence. Galatians 4 and Romans 8 says, Paul writes, the Spirit of God cries out in us that Abba, Father. It means literally, intimately. Like a, the, the picture here is when a dad comes home after work and your kids raise your hand and say, Daddy, Daddy, pick me up. Children have this deep security that their dad is willing and able to do anything from them. While my girls were smaller, they would always wake up crying and they'd come into my room. In the middle of the night, it seems like we would have alligators break into their room, monsters, robbers, Giant bugs, sharks, all kinds of things have lived under their bed. I've never seen them, but they claim this has happened. And they would come crying, telling me everything that they've seen. And every time that they would come in, I would pray for them. We'd walk back into the room, and I'd lay by them in bed. And I'd tell them, don't be afraid of anything, babe, because Dad's going to be with you tonight. And I'd hold their hand, and they'd fall asleep. And they knew that that giant bug or that shark couldn't get them because Daddy's with them. Because when I was in that dark room, everything was all right. Freedom Church, your dad's with you. He's with you in the uncertainty of your financial challenges. He's with you as you battle that sin that you can't overcome. He was going to set you free. He's with you in that sickness. He's with you. Do you have this idea that he's with you? Or do you feel like you're all alone? I want everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. So worship team comes up as we get ready for it communion freedom church dad wants to be with you your father wants to be, wants to be with you the problem with many of you is you walk with god is you don't see yourself as a child of god loved by the father yes you're a christian yes you see yourself as a servant you see yourself as forgiven you see yourself as saved but you don't have the boldness security mentality that comes in with a child of god and this morning i want you to just say lord i want to be your child i know that I know it in my head. Lord, I pray that I feel it in my heart. Right there, I think the best way to close this, there's communion cups right there in your. And I'm going to ask the Lord to reveal his love to you through communion. This is what I want you to do. I want you to break that bread. And I say, Lord, I want you to say this. Lord, thank you for shedding your blood for me. Thank you for showing me your love. I respond to that love. And this is the prayer I want you to pray as you take that bread. Holy Spirit, reveal to me my new identity as a child loved by the Father. So go ahead and take the cup. Say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me my new identity as a child loved by the Father. Thank you for your love shown to me in Jesus. Take the cup. In the same way, 
the night that Jesus crucified, he took the, the cup and said, this is my cup. It will be poured out for you. So just take that cup and say, Lord, thank you for the love that you've shown me. And now, Jesus, maybe with every head bowed, every eye closed, say, Benito, I realize I, I'm viewing God like an orphan rather than a child of God. I want to view God as my father. Raise your hand right there where you're at. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. So many hands going up. So this is a, I want to have a real practical challenge for you. I want you to pray every day this week. Holy Spirit, reveal to me my new identity as a child loved by the Father. And the second thing I want you to do, I want you to write this question down. Am I acting like an orphan who's afraid or a child who's assured of the Father's love? And I want you to put that on your phone as a reminder, maybe once every two hours, and ask yourself, am I acting right now as an orphan who's abandoned or a son assured of the Father's love? Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church Podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.